people, you've lent us your ears yet again. And you've lent us your ears and a new regime. You can choose Oh Happy Day. You can choose whatever hymn, whatever happy song comes to mind. Because even though nothing has really changed, a lot has changed at the same time. Nevertheless, I'm Unqua Sonia. He's Brian Albin. Welcome back to Award Tour, the podcast. Thank you for joining us yet again for this weekly roundup of the intersection between race and sports. We've done a decent job of the guests, and so far in the new year, we are two for two. Because joining us to kick off the show, I'm going to wait on that. Because, Brian, you should at least say hello to the people. No, no, I do not deserve to say hello to the people. We have a guest. (laughs) We introduce our guests first. Unbelievable. I try to show honor to the co-host, and he says, eh, that doesn't really matter. Nevertheless, who is joining us for this edition of the show is been around, and I mean it in every way, shape, or form. At the Worldwide Leader, she has been a part of every single aspect of ESPN's podcast division. She is a producer for ESPN Audio, most prominently for the Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson podcast. She also contributes to the New York Times, the Undefeated, and ESPNW. I also butcher that because it's New York Times. Nevertheless, the Honorable Tarika Foster Brasby joins us on the show. Thank you for joining us. We always try to do a mental health check. How are you feeling right now? Thank you so much for having me. I am doing well. I am doing much better now, as you have alluded to the new regime. So <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am. I am all right. <laughs> Everybody gets to breathe a little bit easy here these days and and I think before we get started you and I had a pretty interesting exchange on Twitter because you made a mention of something that we've both seen in this industry where the former athlete adopts the analyst role and you realize rather people realize the hard way that on-field acumen doesn't really equate being able to to verbalize what's actually going on. And it was that was that was just a great exchange overall. It was just it's interesting to me how there are so many definitions of experience, right? And whenever you're entering into an industry, there are some who require you to have experience. And so that's when that definition starts to kind of, you know, falter a little bit because I would think experience would mean actual experience behind, you know, on in front of a camera, actually delivering some type of analysis of some kind. Nope. They usually mean, oh, he's been on TV before. He played football for 15 years. Let's just have him come in and, and be color analyst on a game. And we're like, wait, what? Wait, <laughs> what? That's, that's not experience. And I'm comfortable in giving an example. I am comfortable with giving this example. Go ahead. Absolutely love Magic Johnson. I never want to hear him analyze a game. <laughs> I don't want to do it. <laughs> I don't hear it. Like, best ever. One of the best ever. I want to hear it. Like it's like you not not with me. So yeah, that's that's where I was coming from with that too. <laughs> I used to put Reggie Miller in that category, but that might be the unfortunate Knicks fandom uh, popping out in that (laughs) one. 
And Brian laughs because he knows the struggle, too. <laughs> Reggie Miller ruined my childhood too many times. So, I mean, I'm yeah, I know what that hatred's all about. It's not a real hatred, but, like, it's it's a partial hatred. You're so I kind. It. I get it. I understand. We also had that pre-conversation, too, about, you know, athlete hate that just goes so far deep that, you know, really, it's probably the kind of hate where, you should probably let it go, but you just, <laughs> it just, you just can't, you won't. <laughs> see, I'm, see, you, you about to get me into trouble because I'm not about to bring up the hot, I might have to leave the hot take for after um, your segment, Sharika, because I don't really want to get into any more trouble, at least this early. But for right now, especially since we're talking about the experience that people walk into covering games with, um, Recently, Jackie McMullen made some comments on Ryan Russillo's podcast that uh, were a little bit out of pocket. And this is according to the Twitter feed of one free mass transit on Twitter. And the comment that stuck out the most to me, um, in fact, I'll quote the, the tweet straight up. On the Russillo pod, Jackie McMullen recalls a conversation with Kyrie Irving where he stated that there should be no NBA draft because these players aren't property. And McMullen replies, uh, yeah, you are, dude. That's the way it works. That's why you get paid all these millions. And that hit me from a very, how do I put this, visceral place because it seemed to carry on the stereotype that a lot of working media members, especially those that are white, seem to approach these players. I'm curious as to how out of pocket you think it was, whether you think it's just a continuation of of tropes that media members carry. What, what, what's your take on that? So for me, I thought it was just extremely tone deaf, right? Um, I also, I, so I listened to it, like I heard the context in which it was used and the conversation that preceded it and also some of the comments that followed it, right? And I get what she was trying to say. And I think that is probably why I'm not as outraged, but I'm still like, we can't talk like that in 2020, right? In 2021, I'm sorry. We can't, we can't continue to use those kinds um, of descriptions when we think about the relationship between owners and players. It's no different than the same comments that were made by the Houston Texans owner when he said, you can't let the prisoners run the asylum. Like this is a league that is 81% black. The NBA is 81% black. You cannot say those kinds of things because we automatically know where those kinds of comments are attributed to. So I try to respect that is Jackie McMullen. She's been covering this league for a long time and she's been very well respected um, across this, this league for a long time. And what she has presented from a written perspective, from um, an audio perspective, I try to get that right. But then Bill Simmons comes right behind her and screws it up even more because he then starts comparing NBA players to dogs and then does the, not that I'm trying to compare them to my dog, but bro, you can see it. Like, <laughs> so I'm, I'm finding it difficult to help you in this situation because you kind of keep putting your foot in your mouth, making it worse. But 
I understand the context of what she was trying to say. She's trying to say, listen, you get paid this amount of money because there is a hierarchy in how things work in this league. And in this league, the owners, they are the ones who make the decisions. And because they make the decisions, there are sometimes opportunities that you may or may not have to take that you may not want to take. And I get that. And you may not have the choices that you feel that you should have. Um, however, that's just kind of how the hierarchy of this league goes. What you don't say is, yeah, dude, you kind of are a property. You don't, you don't say that. So that's kind of where I came from with this. So I want to thank you for giving us an incredibly nuanced answer because nuance is something that is like lost in society these days, I feel like. And I feel like it's especially important in these types of conversations around such sensitive topic matter, because I know that I was reading the response and some of the backlash to what Jackie said. And I very much was in the camp of like, you need to be way more careful with your words, even if you're just recounting a story but I felt like there was such a quickness to bypass sort of the context of the conversation and go straight to throwing into Jackie McMullen thinks that black people are property for the owners or Jackie McMullen's a racist or whatever it might be. And I just want to be like, can we slow down? Because if people sincerely believe that what Jackie McMullen was trying to say is she views NBA players as property. Like, hey, let's even skip the race part because it would affect white players in the league just as much. It would affect Asian players. It would affect any player in the league, no matter of race. And it would be sort of this labor. It's mostly obviously affecting black players because as you said, 81%. But it was, it was just this quickness that sort of got to me, like, can we, can we slow down and can we try and parse through it? Because for one, if we wanted to talk about like things she said that were racially out of bounds, it was what she said about Eric Bledsoe that bothered me more than anything she was saying about her conversation with Kyrie. Like to me, the stuff about Eric Bledsoe might've been more telling than anything else because she had an issue with Eric Bledsoe dunks while grabbing his crotch or something. I think that was the, line she used which was like well that seems questionable there and that seemed to be revealing um but yeah my my, my issue with sort of the reaction to it just was way more with the, the skipping of nuance and like trying to approach the conversation of the snap judgment then leads to an inability to actually have the conversation of what was trying to be said and is what was trying to be said past its time does it deserve further consideration mm-hmm. and things like that and that was the thing that I had trouble with with sort of some of the reaction that I saw to it yeah I think part of I think part of it is when you work in media when you're a journalist when you're trained to kind of listen and and try to pick out the the, the parts that make sense of certain subjects or topics or conversation you can't always just jump to a conclusion you, you, you have to, which is why when I read the quote on Twitter, I was like, wait, because I actually saw it as a headline first. And that was when you really got to be like, no, nah, let me, let's go back because clickbait headlines happen all the time, right? So before I go off the deep end, which I would have 
to be honest, like I, I, I will absolutely stand up for um, anything that I feel is, in, is, is unfair, um, unequal, unjust. And had I felt that she went too far in terms of her context, I would have absolutely said something. Like, listen, this is, this is not how we approach them. Um, however, again, after listening to the conversation leading up to it, as well as the conversation after, because I didn't want to just stop at the comment, I wanted to hear what would happen. And then understanding too, that there needs to be more people in the room in these conversations. So I'm kind of going to throw shade a little bit at, um, at the ringer and I'm going to throw shade into saying that where are the people of color in these in, in the room in terms of your producers, your writers, your editors, who was listening to this before it got published that could have said, we might not want to keep this part in, or maybe we want to have Jackie reword that, or maybe let's have her say something after this to kind of give even better context of what she's trying to say and not just leave it as is. Because you need somebody to be in the room with you to let you know when you say things that will absolutely be taken as insensitive. And so that's kind of for me why I would prefer to say, and again, this is just my opinion, why I prefer to say it was tone deaf. I'm not gonna say she was necessarily wrong because I understand the context of what she was saying. And a lot of us have said things out of context. A perfect example of that is I had a football, I had an NFL player once say to me directly that he's offended when people call him a workhorse. I get that. Not necessarily that, you know, they're like, he's not wanting to, you know, to be uplifted and recognized for how hard he works. But at the same time, he's like, I'm not an animal. You know how many, you know, back when in the 1800s and, you know, how men were compared to animals when they were on the slave trading block. And for him, that was offensive. And he was like, I, I don't like it personally. I don't really like it. And I said, you know what? I respect that. I don't say those things with the intention to be offensive, but now that I know that it offends you, I won't refer to you in that context anymore. And so I, I think that's kind of where I took Jackie's comments, that it was just extremely toned that we're in a time right now where everything is racially sensitive, where the slightest thing you can say can absolutely offend, um, where, where we are just really racially divided more that I think we have been in a while. And it's always been there and we can get into that conversation too. But 2020 and the pandemic forced people to really, really, really check your racism, for real. It forced you to look at it. It forced you to see this is what we go through. Two weeks ago, January 6th, forced you to reevaluate where you stand because we saw something happen in this country that Black people could never do and live to tell about it. So for, for those comments to come out at this time where, where we are screaming more diversity, where we're screaming more people in a room to help decipher these kinds of comments and, and conversations, it was just extremely toned up. See, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I tend to think, especially from even the time where um, when I was a kid, just watching the way that mostly white media members would talk about black athletes in general, it's very interesting to me, even though it really shouldn't be, that nothing much has changed. You could even take a situation like what happened with Jared Porter when the news came out about him sexually harassing a female reporter over text. 
And I can't help but sit there and think that couldn't have been any GM that looks like me. Like that couldn't have been Bill White. No. Kim Ong, Kim Ang, excuse me. She took 30 years to be the first female general manager in Major League Baseball. And at this time, this dude ran the, the scouting department and they let him rock. They yeah. really let him rock. Yeah. I mean, and, and clearly you can understand why it's not easy for women or anyone in this situation to kind of come out and say, this is what's happening to me, but specifically for minorities in that situation, because you don't get these opportunities often. You don't get, you know, the chance to be in certain rooms in certain spaces often. And while you want to make sure that you leave your imprint while you're there, you also don't know who you can trust, you know? And so think about that. Who do I go to with this information? Who do I tell that this is happening that will, you know, be on my side? Or will they say, well, just don't say anything or just don't respond back? Or are you reading into it correctly? Or, you know, like those kind of things can happen. Or do you enjoy working here? You know, that there that, that kind of things happen where you can't go to HR, you can't go to certain people with certain things. And it's a very, it's, it's a, it's a really, it's a horrible situation to find yourself in. And it's even worse when you're trying to navigate it by yourself. Right. So I understand. Um, I understand where she's coming from. I'm blessed to have never been um, in a situation where I have ever felt harassed from, um, for being a woman per se in my workplace. Um, have I ever felt that there were some things that, um, have I ever felt that I've been discriminated against because I'm a woman or have I ever felt that I've been unequally treated um, in certain situations because I'm a woman and because I'm black? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I've often felt like the reason why I don't get certain opportunities is because I'm a female and because I'm black because I wear my hair a certain way, because I speak a certain way. Do you know how insulting it is as a black woman to have somebody say you speak well? What the hell am I supposed to sound like? You know what I mean? So it's like, I, I, get, I get it, I get it and I hear it. And just to kind of bring it full circle, that's just why comments like your property, you know, yeah, you kind of are dude, like it's, it's extremely tone deaf. It just, it takes away, like, cause we've now lost the basis of the conversation that you were trying to allude to with what you were saying to Ryan. And now all we hear is, did, he, did she just say that this man is, a, is owned by, and we know how many, you know, minority owners there are in the NBA. So basically you just basically said, yeah, you're property of, of, of a white man. That's what you basically said. The property of a white dude. So Unqua, we sort of, decided we wanted to do this segment like I, I sort of threw to you uh the controversy that was brewing and you sort of had an initial reaction but we didn't really dive into it because I sort of heard your reaction I was like we might have different thoughts on this so we, mm -hmm. we haven't gotten yours yet what what was your reaction now that we have the ability to sort of put it on our platform what was your reaction to it all I really hate to say it like this, but as infuriated as I was, I wasn't surprised. And I feel as though, I mean, I'm not going to blame my upbringing because I think that's real corny. But one thing that I consistently remember about the 90s, especially in grade school, right? It was always 
we are all the same. Martin Luther King fixed everything. Racism is dead. And so even in adulthood, you still sort of have, whether you want to call it naivete, maybe optimism that maybe, just maybe, people don't actually see us this way. And then we have another example of people still adopting that view. And it hurts because I would have expected better. And I don't expect perfection because obviously people are human. But for that to come out the way it did, even though Kyrie Irving is an enigma unto himself, I was just like, here we go again. Here we go again. Yeah, I, mean, I guess that's the interesting part for me. It's just because, like, I heard the clip. I, you know, I, I, so I first saw it come up on Twitter and sort of like, Tarika, I decided, uh-uh, I'm not just going to read it for myself. I want to listen. I want to give this the opportunity to see if it was just something that was a matter of taken out of context or was it a certain moment that was easy to pick on and I wanted to listen to it. And my overall sentiment after I listened to it is there's no way she is stupid enough to actually believe that players are the property like she's been covering this league for so long. There's no way that she feels that way. And when she said that's how it works immediately after the, uh, yeah, you are dude. I took her to be saying you are part of a labor agreement in which if you want to play in the most lucrative and most prestigious basketball league in the world, there's a couple rules that upon entering it, that you are agreeing to if you want to just purely choose your destination and don't want to be part of that system, there are leagues elsewhere in the world where I'm sure you will get to go to whichever team you want. And we can argue all we want about the merits of that and whether that's a system that needs to be broken, but that has nothing to do with the essence of, do we believe a human being is the property of another human being? And so that's why, like when I listened to it, I just couldn't take it the way that I felt like I was seeing other people take it on Twitter. I couldn't believe that that's what she was actually saying. And so that's why it's interesting to me if that is like a barrier of by me being white, is it something that I just am not going to be programmed to hear it that way? Whereas maybe it is something that does register differently just by way of being black or being of another race and so that's the part of it that was interesting to me is because i just didn't hear it that way at all and i'm seeing all that reaction to it and that's the part that was interesting to me i guess is is there something in my experience that i honestly think it's a little bit of both i think it's a little bit of you a not being programmed to hear certain things certain ways but also um as the old saying goes it's not what you say it's how you say it right so it's absolutely not the point that she was trying to make because in all actuality, I agree with the point that she's trying to make. That's just not how this league works, unfortunately. And that's what you signed up for when you signed up, <laughs> when you signed your contract. That's what she signed up for. It's just this is not how it works. But you do not say it in that way. And whether that was something she said to Kyrie at the time of the interview or whether that was just how she worded it for the purposes of the podcast, in either case, you do not say it. 
And I truly hope she did not tell a black man, yeah, you are dude. Like, I really hope that maybe she was paraphrasing for the purposes of the podcast, that that's kind of what was said. But I really hope that she would have had a little bit more um, restraint in her words and, or, or being more cognizant of her words than to say that specifically to a black man. You know what I mean? But it, it's a little bit of both. At the same time, you're not going to be programmed to hear things that way because it hasn't been ingrained in you that people look at you this kind of way. And it hasn't been a part of your history that this is how people have viewed you. So it's kind of like that kid who always get beat. Like, who, you know, you ever, you probably haven't, hope to God you haven't. But there are children who were so used to being hit when they were kids that anytime you kind of make a move at them or any kind, or even dogs, dogs are this way. I've seen dogs this way that have had terrible owners and that they hit them for every little thing. They push them for every little thing. And when you come up on a dog, he's automatically on the defensive and he has a right to be because for so long, he's had to defend himself against a terrible owner. And now there's someone that's not really trying to come at him that way. And he has to reprogram himself to be a little bit more open to that. And sad as it is, that's kind of how black people are. We've been programmed to be on the defensive because of how we've been treated for so long that it takes time to decipher when someone's really coming at you and when maybe someone just used a bad choice of words. And so I'm choosing to believe that in this instant, Jackie McMullen used a bad choice of words. I don't want to think that she genuinely was trying to say black people are property, NBA players are property, and this is just the way it is. You got to deal with it. So along those lines, I have really sort of been captivated by what's been happening with Kyrie Irving over the last few days and for those who haven't been paying attention um after the brooklyn nets shocked the world by actually making a trade rumor reality by making the blockbuster deal for all-star guard james harden which i don't even want to talk about the basketball it's just gonna make me upset but he joined a team that had kevin durant but did not have kyrie irving and taping on a tuesday as of taping Kyrie Irving finally appeared to the media after being absent from the team for about a week. And he said that he had conversations with his teammates and also spoke with the coaches and apologized for being out of commission. And it was interesting, the conversation that bubbled up, because on the one hand, it is unprofessional to just not show up. I can safely say that nobody on this in this room right now could do that confidently and still come back to a paycheck. But with all that being said, I sort of err on the side of showing compassion because especially being in a pandemic, the mental health is really, really important to take into account. But with all that being said, I am curious if, if you think Kyrie has been covered fairly. I guess that's the best way to ask it. If that's directed to me, I would say no. I think Kyrie and the media have a very tumultuous relationship. And I think they've had that tumultuous relationship for a very long time now, where the communication is just so gone um, that, you know, I remember last summer when he was referring to, he was one of the ones that were very adamant about whether or not the NBA players should continue to play that season in the bubble where they should sit out and focus on social justice efforts. And 
when you look at some of the headlines that were written about that, it was, you know, he's being disruptive. How, what is, what's disruptive about that? You know, it's like they were spun that it wasn't a guy, literally a black man that has, you know, seen these things happen in this country the same as the rest of us. Um, you know, players are human too. They have feelings too. They go through emotions too, if not more than what the common man may go through because we don't have the additional pressures of having to play for a team, play for a fan base, play for possibly your family because who knows what familiar circumstances you're coming from and how that how what you do as an athlete affects your family. So there's a lot of additional pressures that they have that you know I would think the common man does not. But instead, he was called a disruptor, you know, and so. Stemming from that and continuing on, I, I just think that there's just a tumultuous relationship there already. Then there's the, you know, I'm not going to talk to the media on opening day. I'm going to send this statement out so that my words don't get misconstrued. It's just the back and forth, right? It's just the back and forth. But I think it's fair to say that everybody's doing mental health day. And even at the worldwide leader, if I say to my boss, listen, I need a day. I am fortunate enough to have the kind of boss that said, Tarika, take a day. Everybody needs a day, right? So if the stuff at the Capitol, if the, you know, Jacob Blake decision, if, you know, what was going on in Georgia with the senator, the senatorial race at the time, if all of that stuff was building up where he was like, listen, I can't perform, I can't function, I can't go out on this court and really give you guys the product that y'all are paying me for, I just need some time. I can respect that. I can't necessarily respect you being in a position where you could be COVID spreading, which is totally different. Can't respect that. But I can respect you needing some time away. And I don't think it's fair to judge him in a way as to say he's being disruptive or just trying to just, you know, just out here doing whatever because he, you know, may have needed some time. And I don't think it's 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 a I don't think it's fair, unfair to suggest that Kyrie may have you know, may be the kind of person who really pays attention to his mental wellness. And, and, that's, and that's fair. Brian, you usually have words regarding Kyrie in, in many different contexts. I'm curious, very, very curious to hear where, 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 you, where you want to go with this. Uh, in what sense, though, do you mean you're curious about what I have to say regarding Kyrie? Just in terms of whether or not you feel the coverage was fair or whether this changes your opinion of Kyrie in general, really. I like to think that my opinion of Kyrie has sort of been consistent all along. And that I have never viewed Kyrie... I've always viewed Kyrie as a good person with a good heart, but who is also someone who wants everything his way. Uh, to use the old saying, he wants his cake and he wants to be able to eat it too. That's sort of how I've always viewed him. I've always viewed him as somebody who doesn't want there to be any repercussion. Like whenever he says something that draws criticism, he wants to go and say, well, why do you all care about what I have to say so much? But then at the same time, he wants to do things like in a New York Times uh, article, call himself a generational leader, say he knows he's a generational leader. So my whole thing with Kyrie is that it's always been very conflicted. It's always been mixed. 
And sometimes it feels like he just talks himself into a predicament before really knowing where he's going with it and then wants to back his way out of it. Like I, I didn't have a problem with him saying that he needs to take time off after what happened Wednesday or it's not Wednesday anymore, but if it's, it's forever now ingrained in my mind is it was Wednesday because that's the day it was to me. Um, like I was shook. We talked about it last week. I was scared driving to work that day. So I don't blame anybody, especially someone who is black, who saw what happened that day thinking I am just so shaken by what I've seen especially with what happened with the Jacob Blake decision just the day before. Like, I have no problem with Kyrie Irving saying he needed a day. I would like him to come back maybe a little bit quicker just because, like, you know, we all at some point have to get back to our jobs. Um, And maybe, you know, like Tarika was saying, I have a problem with hosting an event that violates state laws on COVID restrictions. Like that's, I appreciate wanting to have a family birthday party, but we've all had to make those sacrifices. Like every single American has had to make those sacrifices. You didn't make that sacrifice. You have to own up to that. That's just, that's just a fact. So like my conception of Kyrie is not changed. There is a person that I feel like deeply bad for. I feel like he, is troubled by the amount of pressure that I think he feels he is under. And like, I, I, he's someone who I deeply want to find an inner peace that it seems like from my eighth level view of things is just a spectator that it doesn't necessarily seem like he has all the time. So like, I hope for that for him, but at the same time, I do think that in terms of the coverage of him, it's not, a situation that he doesn't bear some responsibility for in how it turned the way it did. And it's something that to some extent he's brought upon himself and to some extent he's become somebody who the media might be eager to go after. And it can be one of those things where there can be equal blame sometimes, or maybe not equal blame, but partial blame on both sides. I feel like. See, that was fairer than I expected. I have a. I, I feel like you me. feel like I hate Kyrie. I don't hate I Kyrie. I think you. All right, all right. No, I don't hate Kyrie. He gets under my skin sometimes, but like my brother gets under my skin. I love my brother. <laughs> <laughs> Great analogy. <laughs> you know, like it, that's just how life is. Like he's a public figure, he's a superstar we are going to hold those people to high standards because they have platforms that are deserving of being held to a high standard. You know, like Donald Trump gets kicked off of Twitter for being stupid and crazy and spreading disinformation that is dangerous because he has the platform where it actually matters that he's doing that. Kyrie has the same platform and that comes with responsibility. And I don't think he always has appreciated that responsibility and thinks he gets to retreat into being a private citizen when it goes wrong on him. And that's always been my issue with Kyrie. I kind of not me hating him. I kind of, a part, a part of me kind of agrees with you. And the other part of me is like, we, so this is where, this is where I'm with you, right? I'm with you. I literally just tweeted today. 
like there was a he he did a press conference um and again taping on tuesday so he did a press conference earlier today and um there were like before he got into his soliloquy over needing time off and how that was you know in a time for him to be able to observe everything that's going on from a different perspective there were just some basic questions that people were asking they were asking about his health they were asking about you know you know what he was you know thinking about you know his mental health all kinds of stuff right and some of his answers was just like for someone who does not want to draw this much attention, like why do you give these roundabout and circle unnecessary answers? Like these are the kinds of things that make the media want to continue to come after you. Like say what you mean, mean what you say, or don't say anything at all. But to just kind of continue to talk in circles, like it's it's kind of it's annoying. It's annoying at times. And I so I feel you on that. And then I look at you know, him saying he is a generational leader and his actions in terms of what he does in the community, in terms of how he, you know, pushed his money where his mouth is, how he does, you know, impact certain people in certain places. And he just bought a house for George Floyd's family. Like, this is the kind of things that you do to display leadership. And so then there becomes a conflict where it's like, we all say actions speak louder than words. So what are we really going to put in the forefront here? Are we going to put what Kyrie actually does, or are we going to put what Kyrie actually says? Like what, what's going to, what's going to be more important in these situations? So, so I do get where he does get under your skin. He gets under mine. Like I, I, I don't, I don't, I think for lack of better terms, I think Kyrie's just a bad communicator. He's just a bad communicator. And there, and that's okay. Like there are some people who just do not communicate well. They don't say the right things the right way, or they may not know how to say the right things. And Kyrie is very well spoken. He knows exactly how to get his thoughts across. Why he chooses not to from time to time is beyond me. But it's not that he doesn't understand it. This is a product of Duke. He knows <laughs> what he's doing. You know what I mean? He knows. He's no nowhere by by any means is this guy an idiot and can't communicate. He just does not do it well. And unfortunately, as an athlete that has access, that has the platform, that has the media consistently in your face, the inability to communicate effectively will hurt you. And that is what has caused this tumultual relationship between him and the media. And that's why I like to clarify first with like, I think he's a good person. Like, that should be the most important thing here. I think that Kyrie Irving is a good person with good values. It's just, I don't think he always wants to, sometimes it's like he wants to embrace the responsibilities that come with his platform. And then other times, if he gets criticism for how he has decided to communicate through his platform, he wants to be able to retreat and run away from that and believe that, why are you coming at me about this? You should just want to watch basketball and appreciate the art. Like it's, which is like one of his go-tos It's talking about appreciate the art. It's like, well, no, your job is more than that. And you don't just get to choose when people should listen to you and when they shouldn't. And like you said, the word I always think of with him is intentionality. Like he could just have more intentionality in everything that he said and he could avoid some of this. But even like you brought up the Disruptor article. It was the Adrian Wojnarowski article where uh, Wojnarowski said he's developed in the league as being a disruptor, I think was the exact line. Even in that article, Wojnarowski's sources 
had Wojnarowski reporting that like before he then had the call with the players to talk about social justice in his role as VP of the Players Association, he was on a call with the Board of Governors and with union reps, and he was just asking questions like, well, what type of uh, sponsored beverages are going to be available to the players and stuff like that. So like even in that article, it's not like Wojnarowski was just throwing that word out there baselessly it's one of those situations where once Kyrie decided to talk about social justice, his heart may have been in the right place, but he also was just on a call the week before talking about a whole bunch of nonsense to which everybody who was on the call is then talking to Adrian Wojnarowski about what is this guy doing? So it's intentionality with him that to me is the biggest issue. And it's like, I hate, I don't like that. It feels like I come across as hating the guy. I view him as mercurial. And I wish that the best of him, which I think is amazing in this beacon of light, was what we got all the time. And I realize that's human nature and that's a lot to ask for. Like, we're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But I'm not going to shy away from pointing out when I see he's mercurial. Fair. And this actually makes me wonder even more because ever since that trade, Everyone has conjectured from, oh, they all need the ball so much. I've said it. To, oh, can all those egos get along? I don't really care. But it does sort of make me wonder, in the composition of this team, where he stands and how that's going to sort of develop. Because I've had very close friends of mine say that Brooklyn's going to trade him, which I think is like, no. Why would they do that? They're hooked to his contract. And frankly, they got to try it out to see if it works. But especially in keeping with what he has presented himself to be and how mercurial he can be. And Tariqa, I think maybe you can probably take us home on this one. I'm curious to see how that fit works out, especially since at least in my, I've always hypothesized this James Harden should have always been a point guard. When he was with OKC, their best lineup on that finals run was Harden at the one, Westbrook at the two, KD at the three, and whoever was in the front court. And even now in Brooklyn, I think Harden's their one. I think Kyrie is their two. Pay KD where you want and fill in the rest of the lineup. But I'm curious as to see what you think about how now he sort of fits into this since he's fully back. Yeah, you know, I actually agree with you 100% with how the lineup should look. Um, and I think that the best way that we're going to actually see this is if we're going to see how egos can be put aside. One of the things that killed the OKC team after a while was the, was the ego, the ego trip. It wasn't the talent. It wasn't that they didn't have the ability to get where they were. All three of those guys were superstars and still are. It was the egos. And now you have a rookie head coach in Steve Kerr who already – I think most of us coming into the season had questions with how he was going to deal with the personality of a Kyrie and a KD. And now you've added an additional larger than life personality to this lineup. That to me is what's going to determine the success of this team. Who's going to be able to, and, and I would like to think that each of these personalities have grown over the years, considering that at some point or another, they've all had to play with another larger than life 
personality. You've had Kevin Durant who's had to share the court with Steph Curry and uh and uh Clay Thompson and Draymond Green and you know what I mean? You've had Kyrie who had to share the court with LeBron. I mean, we saw how that worked out, but there was a championship involved at the end of the day. So clearly you do know how to play with someone else. We've seen James Harden have to share the ball with Russell Westbrook. He's had to share the ball with Chris Paul. He's had to share the ball. Each of these players have had to do that. It's just, are we at a point that these players can now say, we've all had our moment where our egos have costed us what really matters. Are we willing to put that ego aside? And I think Kevin Durant is the guy who can absolutely make that happen. Because when he went to Golden State, he did just that. It was not about Kevin Durant being the number one guy. We knew that he was had the ability to be the number one guy and we saw it. But he was able to say, listen, this is not my team. I can fall back and just do what I want to do, which is play basketball. That's all I ever say. I just want to play ball. I just want to play ball. Guess what? He did that. He did that. He wrecked shop. He got a couple rings out of it. You get what I mean? So I think that that's the biggest thing. Lineup-wise, X's and O's, yeah. If you, I mean, there to me, there's no other way. There's no other run, way to run this other than to put Harden at the one and Kyrie at the two. But the biggest thing is going to be, can you put your egos and personalities aside for the great good of this team? And can Steve Kerr control it? That's the interesting thing to me. I mean, Steve Nash is really... Oh, God, I called him Steve Kerr. I meant Steve like, Nash. <laughs> I just lit... I, I, I mean, I've just been following over. the Steves around. Oh, my gosh. It's too many Steves. Stop me. Steve Nash. Steve Nash. I'm sorry. Nah, you're all good. Because I was I was like, no, you've, like, you're on a roll here. We, 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 we can fix that later. Yeah. But, but one thing I think is really interesting about what you said is that not only have they all been halted by their egos... From what I remember, all of them have also verbally complained. And this is probably the first time in, that I can remember that a group of stars has been put together that sort of have a track record, right? Because when it happened in Boston with the big three, KG was near the tail end of his career, as was Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, whatever. They were veterans. They knew what the deal was. My The Heatles, they all were hungry, so it didn't really matter. I'm so curious as to see how the media will cover this trifecta because they've already got that sort of baggage around them. If and if baggage is too heavy a word, but you know what I, where I'm going with. But do you see how good they look without Kyrie? Oh my god. Do they really want to be that guy that to keep up the media frenzy that if he gets there and they don't continue to play well that you know what the headlines are going to be. It's going to be Kyrie has disrupted the chemistry of the team. So, I mean, I don't think Kyrie wants to be that guy. I hope for all, for all of our sakes, I hope not, because otherwise we might be back here again. Tarika Foster-Brasby, tell us where we can keep up with you and, and how we can – and what you're working on next, even. So I am on all social media at SheKnowSports underscore. So that's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, I am currently working on this social project with um, Unseen Productions called Here For It TV. It's fun. It's a development program, but I absolutely love it. So you can follow that on Twitter as well at Here For It. And uh, we've got some bomb episodes, some bomb shorts that we out there um but look i'm just i'm always around right i'm around the rim it's women's basketball season it's college basketball season is one of my favorite 
favorite seasons. It kind of sucks right now, though. Um, I've been one of those who have been very adamant about as much as I love sports, I love human beings more, and I want them to be safe. And therefore, if that means canceling stuff, cancel stuff. Don't Amen. make players and don't make don't make kids, you know, have to play in COVID and be unsafe. So it's it's a very interesting season on around the rim. But if you guys, you know, if your listeners out there love women's basketball, please check us out. I mean, before we let you go, I have to ask you a women's college basketball question. Is this about that team again? Oh, it's about that team oh, again. Well, I grew up in the nutmeg state of Connecticut. So I just need to know, are you ready for Azzy and Paige to oh, run things wait. for the next three I years? I cannot wait until Azzy gets here. Oh my God. I can't wait till Azzy gets here. <laughs> I can't. I am actually, so as we mentioned before we started taping the show, I'm a Michigan State fan, right? So obviously I can't outright cheer for another Division One institution. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you guys are also a very respectable competitive program so right so i can't outright cheer for another institution but i have not been more excited for a freshman to step on the court than i am to see Azzy fudge she's going to be amazing as a matter of fact i'm probably as excited to see her next year as i was excited last year to see francesca this year out in stanford Fran believes and I could not wait to see her get on the court in Stanford. So I'm so excited that she's doing well out there, even though they just fell to Colorado on Sunday in an overtime thriller. But still, yeah. It's okay. The real believers know what's up. That's a (laughs) fact. That's a fact. I knew I saw her go off in high school. I was like, wait, and I I know people, people who have never touched the rim in their life always love to judge these dunks. But in my opinion, Fran Belibi is really the first woman I saw go up and go yish on a rim. I said, oh, wait, 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 Who, what, what, what was she up to? And she did it on the break. It was, oh, man. She absolutely will hawk. I love it. I love it. And just, just alley to her all the time. And she's not extremely, extremely tall. Like, she's not like 6'9 or something. Six one. She's fantastic. Is that person who intentionally grew out his fingernails to graze the bottom of the rim? (laughs) Like, there's no disrespect on any of these dunks. All these dunks are amazing. Let's be clear here. Oh Oh, man. Agreed. Thanks, guys, for having me, though. This was fun. Thank you so much for coming, and hopefully, we'll see you soon. Could not be more grateful to Tarika Foster Brasby for joining us just now. And we left talking about the Brooklyn Nets to some extent. And let's be real. We're both going to hate watch the Brooklyn Nets, right? (sighs) Yes. I mean, like, come on. In this era of big threes, things had just gotten fun. Teams didn't have big threes anymore, right? Like LA just had LeBron and AD. Milwaukee didn't really have any true big three. Nobody really had a true big three anymore. It felt like things were going to be more competitive. Clippers had Kawhi and PG. Just two. Denver had Jokic, Murray. Just two. Things were fun. Then all of a sudden, these three guys got together. James Harden gets whatever he wants, apparently. 
by being sub- insubordinate. Yeah, we're ready to hate the Brooklyn Nets. I, 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 uh, <laughs> so it brings us to America's favorite new game show that's now a year old. <laughs> so it's sort of like the toddler phase of new. Tell me something I don't know. And so naturally, the transition here, what is one team you remember in your professional sports viewing lifetime that you hate watched all the way to the bank? The 2006 Boston Red Sox. Ooh, I bet you did. Now let's, let's make something super clear. They were pretty hateable. They, they were very hateable. But they were like that shining star that's coming at you and you know it's going to burn you and you know you can't survive and what do you do? You absolutely keep your eyes on it. That Boston Red Sox team I'm sorry I got to interrupt but you just described Donald Trump in a solar eclipse. I look forward to never uttering his name ever again. Remember when that dumbass looked at the solar eclipse <laughs> with no glasses on? That's what you just described to me. Oh, I didn't even put two or two together. I'm grateful for you. I'm super grateful for you. Continue, please. But yeah, that, that you know what? The worst part is that that's what watching that Red Sox team was like. Because even though the Yankees <laughs> won the East, like... We knew what time it was. David Ortiz had already. The thing about David Ortiz during those years, I don't know what his walk-up song was, but all I knew is that if I, as much as I hated David Ortiz at that time, if I could have made one change, is that every time he faced the Yankees at Fenway Park, his walk-up song would have been If I Can't Buy 50 Cent. And I would have just been like, wow, he's going to homer again, isn't he? Like, this was a lineup that had annoying Jason Veritek, Kevin Euclid before he became a huge pain in the behind, Mike Lowell just stolen from the Marlins because they gave everybody away, Manny Ramirez, everyone's least favorite Red Sox, Trot Nixon, and David Blanking Ortiz. And the worst of it all, guess who their ace was, Brian? Some 26-year-old named Josh Beckett, who won a World Series MVP back in 2003 after pitching a complete game shutout in Game 6 of the World Series and finished the season by fielding a grounder and tagging out Jorge Posada down the first baseline. I remember sitting in my room watching that and going, no, he didn't. He didn't even flip it to first. He said, nope, bah, your season's over. He and slapped that, him with it. Yes, he did. And Jonathan pa- Jonathan. Yeah, let's not talk about that, man. Freaking Pebble. I hated that team. But that team was fearless. That team didn't care. And this was after Johnny Damon had already come over to the Yankees. They said, that's fine. We don't need him anymore. They then won a World Series back in 07. But that 06 team 
Now that old six team was just different, man. All right, so you brought up a few great things in there. For one, Papelbon was the worst. Hated that guy. <gasps> Hated that guy. Absolutely hated that guy. Least favorite guy. With his kilts and his nonsense. Hated that guy. He was terrible. <laughs> um, but the other important thing that you brought up in there was that Poppy's walk-up song was If I Can't by 50 Cent. That's what that I was must made have, It must have been like a Dominican thing because I specifically remember being so happy you know i was an expos fan of course yes summer of 2003 my dad and i went up made the trek to montreal before the team left montreal to uh do a weekend of expos blue jays games and my favorite expo at the time was orlando cabrera and this is the summer of 2003 so get richard die trying had probably come out in like January, December, 02, something around that time. And Orlando Cabrera's walk-up song, I kid you not, was If I Can't. Oh, no way! And I was just, like, so into it. So into it. Because I had the album, he was my favorite player, and his walk-up song is, like, probably one of my two or three favorite songs from the album. So I'm just, like, I'm loving every single bit of it. So that must have been, like, a Dominican thing. I don't. The thing is, I don't think that was his walk-up song. It wasn't. You just like I. If, I said if him? I, I said if I would have done it, that's what I would have picked for him. Oh, and that's okay, the song. Okay, I, okay. And every time he walked up to the plate, that's the song I heard in my head. Got you. I misheard. And you I'm then. sitting there like you've got it. I thought you were saying his was if I can't. In which I'm like, yo, they must have. I, I swear. I mean, look. <laughs> if I mean, if it, someone gets to David Ortiz and it happened to be one of his walk-up songs, I'm taking full credit. But uh. Yeah, no, that was the that just you bringing that up brought me memories of just like that was that that, that might have been my favorite like walk up song hearing it in the stadium live where it just like got me on another level. Fair. The only other memory I have of hearing a walk up song and it just being like oh so big to me and just like getting me going was before I think it was before it wasn't even a single yet. I was for some, my, my family's Yankee fans. So I don't know why I was at some Yankees game one summer, but I was at some Yankees game in the summer of Oh five and Derek Jeter's walk-up song was gold digger. (laughs) And I hadn't, I hadn't heard it yet. And I don't even think it had been released as a single yet. In Oh five. Five. Yeah, it wouldn't have been released. It wasn't released till '06. I, I thought it was the fall of '05, but this was like summer, so like I hadn't, or maybe it was the fall of '06. It all blends together for me. Facts. But like, I'm pretty sure that Derek Jeter just like got an early, <laughs> like release or something from Kanye because like this song was not out yet. I don't even think the album was out yet. And he had it as his walk-up song. I'm like, what is this? This is incredible. <laughs> and I just, like, didn't care about the game at all that night. But every time Jeter was getting ready to come off, I was like, okay, let's hear that song again for 10 seconds. <laughs> but 
to keep it on topic, the team above all teams that I hate watched and it ended up working out in my favor when they failed, the 2011 Philadelphia Eagles. Way. It was that year, wasn't it? I mean, I think you know what year I'm talking about then. Deshaun to the crib! <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Don't oh. bring that up. So I had some lingering hate, no doubt, because that was the year before. Was this Vic's? This was Vic's second year. Then. So this is Vic's second year. And this is the offseason <sighs> in which the Eagles went nuts. They signed Dominique Rogers Cromartie. I remember this. They now. signed Namadi Asamoa. They signed Vince Young to be the backup to Mike Vick. They signed Ronnie Brown uh, to be their backup running back to LaShawn McCoy. Mm -hmm. And they took Steve Smith from my Giants, slot receiver out of USC. And everybody was like deeming them the dream team. And everybody was deeming them like they're going to go 16 and oh, they're the best thing that's ever happened. And I was just, like, so mad. I had so much lingering resentment from that game the year prior, one of two Giants games I'd ever been to at Giants Stadium. (gasps) And the last game I probably will ever be at at Giants Stadium because I'm not going back there ever again. That was so miserable. You were in the building? Yes, I was at the Deshaun Jackson game. I don't like to talk about it. I actually feel really bad. I don't like to talk about it. Once again, it's one of two Giants games I've been to at in the Meadowlands. Oh, no. I'm not going back. Oh, too painful. Too painful. Damn. But, yeah, so that team, because of that just, like, crushing blow they had held, uh, given us the year before, to then have them the next year being built is like this dream team also oh i hate watched them that whole entire (laughs) year so it could not have been sweeter for me that the giants would end up going on to win the super bowl that year very true and it was actually in lincoln financial field in the third game of the season where victor cruz had his breakout and salsa all over the eagles for two touchdowns and i remember i had some philly friends at gw who I was watching that game with. Uh-oh. And I just remember looking at them. I'm like, sorry, Dream Team what? 16-0 and what? Yeah, I had fun giving it to them that year, but that, like, I hated that team. And it was almost one of those teams that you forget existed. Because it was so bad. Right. It, it, it was a calamitous failure. And that was around the time the Jets actually had a standout defense. Yeah, y'all were so Cromartie. good. Yeah, like Cromartie on one end, Revis on the other. We were Rex saying Ryan like Revis Island. Yeah. Oh, man. Darrell Revis. <laughs> Woo! Still one of my favorite commercials of all time. But, yeah. And the thing is, everyone thought it was going to work. But correct me if I'm wrong. But between Rogers Cromartie and Asamoa, weren't they like similar cornerbacks? That couldn't really play off of each other? Is that what it was? I think it was – it sort of t- – the biggest bust was Asamoah because they signed him to a big deal. After and his time in Oakland. 
Yeah, and I think what ended up happening with him was sort of it revealed they viewed him as some shutdown corner, whereas I think we learned in Oakland he may have been more of a system corner, sort mm. of like the the Richard Sherman critique, shall we say? Oof. I like Rich though. No, I'm not saying anything bad about Richard Sherman. I'm just saying that like the Pat Petersons and like other cornerbacks have always said about Richard Sherman, like take him out of that system he's not as good as you think he is. I think he's probably proven people wrong over time. But I think that's sort of what ended up happening with Asamoah was like, whether it was a change of system or whatever in Philadelphia, whether they, I think it was, they paid him to be like a shutdown corner and thought he could just play people man to man. And he couldn't awkward. And just like his career sort of just flamed in Philly instantly. So that was like the biggest problem. But then the other problem was just that like Vic regressed which, you know, his year the year before, like, came out of nowhere, let's be real. The guy had just gotten out of, like, federal prison and somehow was better than he was in Atlanta. Crazy. Like, that's still one of those things that might not ever make sense, how he was able to pull that off. I guess if it was me, maybe it's because they were playing through his previous tendencies. Maybe they expected him to still be as much of a runner, and I think his passing probably got better, too. No, his passing was better. Like, he was a much better passer that year in Philadelphia than he'd ever been before, and it was just like, where did this come from? And how did this happen in prison? Like, I want to see what his numbers were. So, it was... I'm uh, curious right now. That was just a team that, oh, they, they rankled me. I didn't like him at all. They also got Jason Babin. That's right. They signed Jason Babin, too. So, like, everybody just thought they were going to be runaway Super Bowl champions. Best team ever assembled in an offseason. It just didn't work that way. Exactly. I was about to say, next thing you know, forget it. So, in that 2010 season, his 30-year-old season, no less, his passer rating was 100.2. Whoa. Yeah. Completion percentage was a career high 62.6%. 3,000, over 3,000 yards passing. 21 TDs, only six picks. Hmm. He was so good that year. He. And he rushed for 676 yards. The Deshaun Jackson game is wrongly called the Deshaun Jackson game. Because Deshaun Jackson made the play to win on the punt return and everything. But that was a 31-10 game, and then Michael Vick became superhuman. Right, because it was the huge comeback. It looked, there were so many times in the fourth quarter where Michael Vick should have been sacked. And he did things that only Michael Vick and Lamar Jackson could probably do in terms of escapability. Because Lamar Jackson's the only dude I've ever seen since who had that ability to not just escape, but as soon as he escaped, turned it into a 30-yard play. 28 points in the fourth quarter. I was there. I, don't make me relive it, man. <laughs> I'm, 21 for 35. Three. Uh, all right, I'm done. He rushed for one third. I told you, every time it looked like he was sacked, he turned it into a 15-yard game. I ain't going to say no more. I'm... I actually feel kind of bad that I brought that up because I didn't realize it was that drastic. It's that painful, yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, if it makes you feel any better, at least you didn't hold Ben Roethlisberger to, like, what? 
less than 14 points and lose to go to the Super Bowl. At least you got two of them. You're right. You're <laughs> right. It could be worse. <sighs> and now we have to pray for... I'm not even supposed to be watching... Let's move on. Please let's move on. Well, now that we're refocused and we're back at it, you know what time it is. The namesake. It's not just the clue that this show was coming to an end, but it's the clue that lets you know we've been paying attention. It is the award segment where we pick out a handful, sometimes one, sometimes multiple people who deserve to either be praised, ridiculed, or just overall judged. We all, I know what the good book says, but um, I tend to have two awards this week. And the first, <sighs> the first one is very, very, it's the cognitive dissonance for me, Brian. Because we we talked about this, in fact, it's on our social media pages, about the riots that happened at the Capitol last week. And as we have seen, the FBI and other law enforcement agencies are finding people, and some of them are getting pulled off planes, some of them are getting overall embarrassed. Such things warm my heart. But my heart goes very cold again when those people are found and pretty much unrepentant. Enter one woman by the name of Jenna Ryan. And according to this tweet from David Begnaud, I hope I pronounced that correctly, David B-E-G-N-A-U-D on Twitter, this is what it reads. I would like a pardon from the President of the United States. Dallas area realtor Jenna Ryan is the second DC ride participant to ask for one. She flew on a private jet to DC to quote, stop the steal. FEI arrested her today. This was back on the 15th. She says, I feel persecuted. But feel free not to take my word for it. Please observe. I would like um, a pardon from the president of the United States. I think that we all deserve a pardon. We, I'm, I'm facing prison sentence. Um, I think that I do not deserve that. And I think every person, you know, from what I understand, everyone's going to be arrested. That was there. So I, would, I think everyone just in the United States to give me a pardon. You ran up on federal property and you think you're getting off? <laughs> you have got to be the dumbest person ever. A child. See, and it's weird because we know in this country, and this was also discussed last week, if the Capitol writers looked like me, there would still be bodies. And yet, she has the audacity to say, I could be facing prison time for, for breaking the law. This is unacceptable. 
it's an argument so bad, it makes you sound like a child, like a brat, like Angelica Pickles. And unfortunately, this Jenna Ryan lady is blonde too. But there was time after time, Angelica would pick on the babies, get away with it sometimes because she could swindle the grown-ups into thinking that she was on the right side. And then there are the times where she was caught and actually soundly punished. Oh, dear Jenna, the only difference is that no one's going to be putting you in a playpen. Hopefully you're in a pen that has bars, immovable bars. Ergo, the Angelica Pickles Award for Childishness goes to Jenna Ryan. I hope they bury you under the jail and everybody else who went with you. I feel like Jenna Ryan's the type who has been quick in her life to say, play stupid games, win stupid prizes <laughs> to others. Right? Because that feels like the type of thing that people that sound like Jenna Ryan might say. Yes. Works two ways, baby. <laughs> God, the flew there on her private jet. And you had the bread for that. Like, that's what's crazy to me. The people who feel like their freedoms are being threatened as they fly to D.C. on private jets. Yeah, that's rich. Uh, literally. <laughs> you know, Jenna Ryan wasn't the only star of the uh, Capitol riots, though, right? Do tell. There was also this lady. What happened to you? I got maced. <laughs> and what happened? You were trying to go inside the yeah, Capitol? Yeah, I, I made it like a foot inside, and they pushed me out, and they maced me. What's your, what's your name? Where are you from? My name is Elizabeth. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee. And why did you want to go in? We're storming the Capitol. It's a revolution. So Elizabeth from Knoxville, Tennessee, oh. a, uh, a legend around the uh, socials for the past couple weeks, right? Oh, yes. The Animaniacs, man. Such Gotta a legend that I think it's time we have a permanent award named after Elizabeth from Knoxville. And this award, the Elizabeth from Knoxville Award, is going out to people who unnecessarily out themselves and put themselves in a uh, precarious situation. And so the inaugural Elizabeth from Knoxville Award is going to one Kristen Gray. Have you heard of Kristen Gray? I have not until now. Kristen Gray is an American. Oh, Jesus. Who has been living in Bali, Indonesia for the past year during the COVID crisis who has been overstaying a visa uh -oh. to live in Bali uh -oh. during the COVID crisis. She also was dumb enough to both write a book and write a long Twitter thread to promote such book. <laughs> no way. Trying to uh, tell other Americans I've been balling on a budget in Bali for $500 a month. Here's <laughs> how you can do it. Here are my secrets. Lord. No. 
you know what the problem is with posting to socials lifestyle advice when your lifestyle involves you uh, breaking the law? What's that, Brian? It's that the authorities might catch wind of this. <laughs> and so even though she has since deleted the thread, Kristen Gray of the United States of America was caught by the Indonesian authorities and has been deported back to America. <laughs> oh. I can't even tell you how deserving of the Elizabeth from Knoxville, Tennessee award you are, Kristen Gray. Because you felt such a desire to profit and become a lifestyle social media figure oh, off of your law breaking. Lord Jesus. It's, it's a bad decision. Don't do it. Like what? Don't give yourself away for no reason, people. I just. She could have just kept quiet and she probably would be in Bali right now living that dream still. Like literally, that's what's crazy. You well, could have. had to go and talk about it. You could have literally kept this all to yourself. Nobody really need. Everybody really wants to announce everything. Everything. Yet another one. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. And I don't understand what it is about Americans that make them think that just because they're in a totally different country that the rules don't apply to them. Ugh. Goodness. My second and, and final award of the night. Um, I really feel sorry for Mets fans right about now because it seems like some folks can't catch a break sometimes. It wasn't enough that they got a new owner with a big pocketbook. Sandy Alderson came back to run the team, legendary baseball executive. You swing a deal for one of the best, if not the best shortstop in all of baseball. And you get a pretty good starter in Joey Lucchese from the San Diego Padres. Life's supposed to go real good. Come to find out Monday night, no less, that now former Mets general manager Jared Porter was sexually harassing a former female reporter over text we'll get to that in a moment for some reason and I'm I don't know if I'll ever understand this but everybody wants to cape for the guy that made the mistake now I mean everybody to a point where Brian and I are talking in between and he's like, did you know that, you know, friend of the show and all around boss Shakia Taylor got into a war of words on Twitter. I'm like, what happened? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you. 
Please do. Just it, it wasn't about Jared Porter. It wasn't. No. What was it about? Uh, so. Please interrupt me because I still want to leave room for this. This is good. This is good. I want to. I mean, I I, I want you to go on about Jared Porter. Oh, I will. But this is a good interruption. So tell so me what happened. The what the situation that was going on on Twitter with friend of the show Shakia Taylor, uh, Brick Garuli of the Athletic like announced a promotion that she was being elevated to national baseball writer for the athletic. Good for her. Congrats. And in doing so, uh, her announcement. Now I need to find it here. Here it is. She said, I am excited, energized, and a little terrified. Now more than ever, different voices matter in sports. And Isn't she a white woman? So that's where the root of uh, the argument went between the two of them was, I mean, now, now I'm trying to find it in real time. Uh, and it was some extent of Shakia asked the question, I'm very curious what different voices means nowadays, because it doesn't seem like anyone really knows, to which Britt Garuli took offense. And then said whatever I think I then sent you in the which, text. Which was, since there is a small corner of the internet that enjoys being and taking exception to my use of the word different. I've worked in baseball for a dozen years and worked hard to be promoted. I am a different voice on a platform almost made entirely um, I am a different voice on the platform, almost made entirely, almost entirely made up of men. Missing the point, as per usual. To which Shakia graciously responds, okay, so you want to explain what makes you, a white woman, a different voice? Let's hear it. I'll excuse you for your disrespectful cursing for now. She said it all. I don't, I don't need to really add to that, but it's just like... Y'all don't read the room in 2021? Y'all really don't read the room. You look at these players, the Latino players, the black players, the players that are not quote unquote homegrown American. They don't really feel like talking to y'all. And they see a sea of white. And you call yourself different. With all due respect to the experience and the things that you've seen, because everyone has a different perspective. Read the room. Do you know who didn't do a good job of reading the room? Jared Porter. And here is why. In the article written by Jeff Wasson and Mina Kimes, I'm going to bring up the idiocy of this because to this day, I'm still stunned. Back in 2016, when Jared Porter was the director of pro scouting for the Chicago Cubs, 
Here's a direct quote from the article. The woman, a foreign correspondent who had moved to the United States to cover Major League Baseball, said at one point she ignored more than 60 messages from Porter before he sent the final lewd photo, which was a photo of a naked penis, unfortunately. The text relationship started casually before Porter, then the Chicago Cubs director of professional scouting, began complimenting her appearance, inviting her to meet him in various cities, and asking why she was ignoring him. And the text showed that she had stopped responding to Porter after he sent a photo of pants featuring a bulge in the groin area. Whatever consenting adults choose to do, whatever. Problem, they weren't, she wasn't consenting at all. And I cannot get out of my head the fact that this man texted this woman 60 times without an answer! You don't get the hint after eight? 60? I can't remember the last time I texted anybody more than 20 times without an answer you have to be demented and look power dynamics make this wrong on so many different levels we know that women get harassed in the sports industry at ridiculous levels that are absolutely inexcusable but how do you send 60 text messages without an answer before you decide, you know what, maybe I shouldn't talk to her anymore? It's bad enough you're trying to mix business with pleasure and not be smooth about it. You got to be a really bad texter to have somebody ignore you back to back to back to back to back. You got to be really bad at that. That sounds like something out of big mouth. Another show about kids. Well, not quite about kids. It's written by adults. Do you watch Big Mouth? I do not, no. So needless to say, it's a show written by Nick Kroll, formerly of the league. Very underrated show, in my opinion. And it basically details, very explicitly, the teenage puberty experience. Sounds weird. A little weirder to watch, but still kind of hilarious. And there's a character on that show that goes by the name of Coach Steve. Coach Steve, poor, unfortunate soul, no matter what, just doesn't get it. He will be insulted by kids, by ghosts, by police officers, by whomever. And he just never seems to get it. You can tell him the same thing, I guess, 60 times, and he won't really get it. Ergo, Jared Porter gets the Coach Steve Award because 60 times somehow isn't enough. That's the... If you're going to be wrong, if you're going to be wrong, at least be good at it. Or at least show some finesse. Let there be a redeeming quality to you being so stupid. But 60? That's ridiculous. 
I mean, this is normally the part of the show where I would offer up a joke or two. But just like the topic matter is not conducive to jokes. It's like it's 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 not. You couldn't leave her alone? Sixty times? The worst part of the article to me. Let me rephrase. The third worst part of the article to me. Because like obviously the worst part is what he actually did in terms of the harassment. But, like, once she worked up the courage to, along with some other people, write finally, like, a cease and desist text, just the casualness of, like, the, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you, like, that part, can I help you with your work at all, like, Help with what? Come on now. Help with what? Did you really not get the hint that you were pissing her off when 62 texts went unanswered? There is a desperation in uh, some of the some of the gentlemen in these streets with their relentlessness that I just I'll never understand. And, and it's so stupid. It's not even like attempting to be in any way flirty or like clever or romantic. It's right. just straight to the nasty. And you make money. It's not like you're broke. You make money. You can't meet somebody that actually wants to receive text messages from you. To harass a woman 60 times, why? You feel like you have to have it? She don't want you. She don't like you. She works with you. She ain't got to like you. And if she did, she certainly doesn't anymore. Thank you. <laughs> if she like, ever, come on. If she ever did, your 53rd text in a row unanswered was not the one that fixed this situation in your favor. 27 didn't work. 35 didn't work. I tend to give it a rest after three. Thank And this is why I'm so frustrated at how avoidable this was. And how much damage you did to someone who's not in the industry anymore. And for what? And at the end of the day to yourself. Yeah. But the hell with him at this point, like you damaged somebody's career aspirations because you, you wanted to get your rocks off. As if there aren't plenty of avenues for you to do that in. That don't require overage charges on your cell phone plan. For, for crying out loud. That's, f no. Gross. Dude's gross. I really hope that the lady that came forward, more, more power, more strength to you. I hope in one way there is some fulfillment in whatever else your next chapter is. And sir, wherever you choose to resurface, I, I'm just going to leave it at that. It, it, it ain't for me to judge at that point. I hope she just gets to like live her life.
Cause that's all. That that's really all anyone it's can. It's brave ask for to this. come forward in any circumstance, and the worst thing that could happen now is that somebody identifies her or whatever it may be. You know, like there, there are more ways that it can go wrong for her in her personal life than is ever going to go wrong for that dude, and that's why I don't even I don't even like talking about it because he deserves his comeuppance, and she deserves to not be on the tip of anyone's tongue or be identified or whatever might possibly happen to her that's no good i agree i i just felt i i I'm, i just kind of felt the need to just air him out just, oh yeah he, he can just get, just one time he likes to undress himself apparently so you can do it as well if you want to i suppose yeah, only verbally i've got thank god they didn't make that picture public because yeah no one wants to see it. Nope. Take but you do time. want to see clips of this show. And the way you can see clips of this show, go to our socials. Go to at Award Tour Pod on Instagram, on Twitter. You'll catch some of our thoughts. You'll catch us on the socials. You can find me, of course, on Twitter only at Brian Alvin Life with a Y. You can find Unqua on Twitter and Instagram at underscore I am Unqua, capital I, capital A, capital N. Also, make sure you catch us on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us five stars. Leave us a review. Tell us how much you loved that we had Tarika Foster Brasby on with us. And hopefully we'll be able to get her back for you sometime in the future. Facts. Because she was a star. She is a star, and she is going to continue to be a star as she watches John Quell Jones tear up the WNBA from courtside seats. Ding, ding, ding. That. By the way, shout out to her fantastic sorority, Sigma Gamma Rho. No affiliation. Just wanted to say shout out to the SG Rose. That's all. Any final words before we leave the people this week? Um, leave people alone and... We got a new regime, baby. I'm, I'm, it's not that happy because it's almost like avoiding getting hit by a bus, even if it clips your arm. But at least for now, take a deep breath because in one way, at least, he's gone and it's over. Let's hope he's gone. And Joe and Kamala you know what to do. Cancel or at least give away those $10,000 in student loan relief. The people could use it. We will see you next week. Stay blessed. Stay healthy. We'll talk to you then.